Welcome home to a life without limits, where you honor your alignment, nourish your soul, and awaken your inner goddess. Some days we fly, some, well, we've got you, sister. Abundance is your birthright. This is your remembrance. Hot Mess Goddess, juicy conversations for a luscious life. Welcome to the Hot Mess Goddess podcast. It's the first episode of a brand new season, which was completely unintentional, but it is just the way it all panned out. It's also one that I'm quite nervous about because every other episode I've been chatting with someone else and this one is just me and definitely not something I'm comfortable with doing. It's why I don't like doing lives on social media because it's just me talking and I feel really awkward to be honest. But I also realized, actually, I felt really called to share my story because I share everyone else's stories, which are incredibly potent, inspiring and all the things. But I've I've been hiding for much of my life with pen names for my poetry, pen names for my writing business, Pop Mez Goddess podcast. There's a different name for that. I pretty much hide and have this unconscious fear of being seen. So this is a big step for me. And I thought, you know, I preach everyone to really get out of their own way and reach for new levels and continue to rise. And if I'm going to preach it, then I'm sure a shit going to embody that. And for me, this is the next level is actually sharing my own story because you don't really know the depths of where I've come from. So come along for the ride as nervous as I actually am to share this. I think I'll start with a very traumatic moment in my life when I was 17, because for me, that's really where the course of my life changed dramatically. And that was watching my best friend die. You know, saying it in one sentence, yep, I watched my friend die, but it's everything that goes along with it. And I wrote a chapter in a book, which actually covers that plus about 20 years of my life. But I might even read a little bit of that, I guess because I wrote it and I'm much more comfortable in writing (laughs) rather than speaking by myself. So I might even read a little bit of that to give you an idea. The title is called Forgiveness. I felt sick to my core. The salty residue of tears smeared across my face couldn't hide my confusion. I was incapable of speaking and there were no words. Uniformed strangers moved methodically through the rooms of our share house as I sat motionless, staring blankly through a young female police officer. Notepad awkwardly in hand, her posture indicated she was new to this, and she was in way over her head. It was 1990. We were 17, in our first year of uni, with the entire world at our feet. Young, wild-hearted, and wonderfully free. My best friend Beck played Roxette as loud as she could without distorting the speakers. We spent hours singing, drinking and dancing around the lounge room and of course talking about boys. As the night went on we ventured outside still conjuring up ways we could see two boys in particular. They were working on a farm near Condoblin in outback New South Wales which was over 500 kilometres away and to us it felt like the other side of the world. 
Bear in mind there were no mobile phones back then. I don't even know how we managed to keep in touch with them. Anyway, I shall continue. We gazed up at the stars as if they could magically give us the answers. It was one of those rare, special nights where time ceased to exist. We'd known each other our entire lives, and being best friends, we talked about everything and anything. We excitedly planned my 18th birthday, which was only two weeks away. We talked about friends, family, our dream careers, because although we were studying accounting, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. And in my world, writing prose just wasn't considered a viable option. At one stage, we even planned our funerals. Beck wanted me to wear bright, happy clothes and write her a poem if she went first, and I decided she should wear a glorious hat. And then just as swiftly, our conversation was back to the boys. Beck looked up, staring deeply into the moon, and adamantly declared we'd see them soon. She just knew it. And that was the last conversation we ever had. And I think I'll stop reading there for a moment because there's not really any need to go right into the detail of it. But Beck had epilepsy and we were on a pretty big three-day bender and I had no idea. There was no social media. There was no research you could easily do on this stuff. So I only knew what she told me and that it was no big deal. And I certainly didn't know we weren't meant to be drinking. I'd never seen her have a fit. Um... I had seen her flop to the floor in a pub once with the eyes sort of at the back of her head, but she was still sitting up and yeah, she just said it was just a moment and part of her epilepsy and not even a big deal. So at some stage we went to bed and she woke me up in the middle of the night saying, hospital, Sal, help me, hospital. I was very naive and walked over to the phone which was attached to the wall in the hallway and I dialed the hospital and they pretty much spoke to me for a couple of minutes, asked if we'd been drinking. I told them I couldn't see her eyes and they just said to give her two Panadol and put her back to bed and I did. Well, actually, I went to give her the Panadol but she was already asleep and she never really woke up from that. I could hear her breathing the next day. So I tried to wake her up because I was only at uni for her. I had no fucking interest in accounting whatsoever. And so I tried to wake her up to come with me to classes because I was just way too boring without her there. And I couldn't wake her. So I gave her a little nudge and tried to wake her again. And I thought she was just ignoring me. So I pulled back the covers thinking she was going to be grinning. And that's when it really hit me. I was overcome with dizziness. The room started spinning. The pillow was stained with like a faint red tinge and there was a sharp odor which took my breath away. And I just remember running from the room and everything else after that became a blur. I think our housemate might have called someone because all I remember is just sitting in a chair in that house it was a hive of activity with paramedics and police. I had no idea what was going on. And at one point they wheeled her past the doorway on a stretcher and I asked if they were taking her to the hospital. And it was then where this police officer from a small country town looked at me and said, don't you know she's dead? And I, I just, I was rocked to the core. I couldn't breathe. 
And I thought, my God, they've made a mistake. They don't know how deeply she sleeps. It's part of her epilepsy. So I begged them to wake her up and I was just sobbing hysterically and just still trying to breathe with this deep ache engulfing my chest. I had no idea where they were taking her and why weren't they trying to wake her up and why no one was even listening to me. And then uh, detectives continued to just sift through all our drawers and possessions and go through my diary that I'd written and just asking question after question after question. And I suddenly realized that they were actually searching for evidence of some kind of foul play and that I was the main suspect. And in that one defining moment, I actually believed them. I truly believed that I'd killed my best friend. And that one, ugh, that one incident changed the trajectory of my life. That one belief that embedded itself into my body for the next 20 years, it... It was at the core of every decision I made and everything I did. It was always there, a part of it. So I managed to write her a poem and the boy that we were talking about, I remember seeing him at the funeral as I read it out and I wasn't religious, so I wasn't allowed to speak in the actual church, but I read out the poem as they were lowering her into the ground and I was struggling with that, so the priest turned me around so I didn't watch that and face the crowd. And that's when I saw the boy that Beck said that we would see and our eyes connected, but I just didn't care. I honestly wished I was dead too. I had no idea how I was even going to survive or what I was going to do without her. Funnily enough, I ended up marrying that boy and we spent 17 years together. And again, it was because I thought that's what she meant. I thought that I had to have this connection with him because she had said this, you know. But because I had this belief that I had killed her, I deserved, oh, I deserved pain. I didn't deserve love. I didn't deserve anything. So I didn't even care if I lived or died. I spent 10 years with him traveling around Australia, drinking, smoking drugs, drink driving pretty much everywhere I went. I think I drove for a couple of years without a license. I just didn't give a shit. He ended up cheating quite a few times. And again, I just thought, you know what? Nothing that happens to me is as bad as losing my best friend or what I experienced in that process of losing her. And so it's all good. It's all okay. Nothing's that bad. And the other part of me thought, oh, I guess I deserve this. You know, I've I I killed my friend. I I must deserve this. I'm being punished. So after 17 years, my husband eventually chose someone else and I had no choice but to leave with my two little girls and go back home to the family farm with pretty much nothing but our clothes and start again. But unfortunately, I felt like I'd lost my best friend again because we did. We got along so well, my husband and I, and we're still friends to this day. But I guess he saw me as a mate, not really a partner. And so I felt like I'd lost my best friend again, but this time it wasn't through like an accident or a death. It was him rejecting me. And so that was a whole new level of loss that I'd never experienced before. And it cut me right to my core. 
So I went on another bender. I went back to my old ways of drinking and just not even knowing what I was doing and not remembering most nights and not being a very good mum to my girls, that's for sure. Thankfully, I had my parents there who were just amazing. But at some stage, I had been into personal development before I left and it was seeping in, even though externally you couldn't see it, it still had an effect. And so I kept searching and kept searching throughout these times and I've discovered Abraham Hicks and the law of attraction. And so I did all of these things to try and improve my life because it was so fucked up. And throughout all of that, poetry was always my salvation. I hadn't written for a few years after Beck died, but I started writing a lot when my girls were born because when I discovered I was pregnant, I stopped everything, I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking pot and all of a sudden I could feel again because I was just numbing my whole fucking, any emotion that ever came up was just completely numbed. So suddenly I felt everything and my intuition was back on tap and so that's when I discovered my husband was cheating and I remember asking him about it when I was six months pregnant with my daughter and he denied it denied ever having an affair, denied everything, but he ended up having to tell me while I was still pregnant that the girl he didn't have an affair with had just had his baby. And I'd miscarried before my firstborn. And if I didn't, they would have been born in, like within days of each other. Um, and as it turned out, I got pregnant straight away. So yeah, my daughter and his other child are, I think, maybe three months apart. And I felt it. And my intuition had, like I said, had just tapped in big time. And so when I was conceiving Molly, I had this incredibly potent dream where Beck came back and we were sitting on a bus together and she rubbed her cheek against mine. And um, uh, I, I, rem I still remember it so vividly. And I knew that I was pregnant when I woke up. And the same with my second daughter, Maggie. I was obsessed with writing a poem about Beck. First time I'd really picked up a pen for a long time, maybe 10 years to write poetry. And I wrote my story with Beck before she died. And I just couldn't put the pen down. Molly was getting fed, but that was about it. You know, I was like obsessed with this writing. I just, it had to come out of my body. And once I was done, I remember stumbling off to bed and waking up knowing that I was pregnant again. And I sure enough was. So Beck came to me with, it, with each one. I ended up pregnant again. And this time she didn't come to me. And as it turned out, my husband didn't want this child. And he took me to have an abortion, which was a seven hour drive. And I remember crying pretty much all the way down to the Gold Coast. And when I came out, I was just a mess, hormonal, the whole thing that goes on with being pregnant and then suddenly not. And he gave me a bunch of flowers and took me back to this swanky apartment handed me a beer and a bong, which I had, and my whole world went numb again. And I continued like that for a while until, you know, he ended up choosing the other woman and I went down to my parents' house. So yeah, right back to being a fucked up mess, really. But this time I had kids. So the guilt that surrounded that and the shame that I was carrying was so deep. But back to the personal development side of things, it had crept in. I started listening to, I can't say it properly, the binaural beats. I'm sure you know what I mean. I was listening to those and brainwave altering frequencies and it did 
the shifts were so slow that I didn't notice them, but synchronicity was really stepping up. I remember hearing an ad on the radio about learning Pro Tools, which I was super keen to do because I was really wanting to put music to my poems. And I thought, fucking awesome, I can learn Pro Tools, start making songs and get creative and it's just going to be so much fun. So I did this course for a year, um, ended up learning nothing about Pro Tools as it turned out, but I wound up in radio for the next seven years pretty much as a newsreader, which was It was incredibly fun because it got me using my voice where I was so scared to, to start with. I just said, I can't do it. I can't do it. But I ended up being great at it and I loved it other than the fact that it was news. And even though it was for regional areas, there was murder, rape, horrific accidents, children being murdered and raped. This stuff was going into my head and I was speaking it on a daily basis and not just a daily basis, an hourly basis. And I was writing it. It was quite depressing, even though I was doing personal development to counteract it. But I did end up meeting the love of my life or the next teacher, maybe I will say, who was a breakfast announcer. And I was voicing ads and things as well. So he was helping me get out of my own shell and out of my own way with that type of expression rather than just the boring newsreader voice. And I think six months after meeting him, I just, I kissed him. It was beautiful. And it was like a thousand butterflies in my heart were released. And I, I still remember that feeling so beautifully. And there was such a, a strong pull to be with him and I couldn't resist it at all. So we ended up together for around seven and a half years. And he definitely was a soul connection and teacher that was meant to come into my life. Um, But it was incredibly traumatic at the same time. Um, Traumatic for myself and also for my two girls to experience living with him. He was incredibly emotional, whereas I was switched off. And his volatile emotions scared the crap out of me and it scared my kids. But he fulfilled his role, that soul contract we had, he fulfilled that beautifully and still is to this day. It's it's still not easy, but you know I have to be grateful that he came in and did exactly what he was meant to do. So I see it for what it is, even though it was incredibly traumatic and, and stressful and I felt powerless for so many years and controlled and all the things, but I needed that lesson to then be where I am now and to be able to use my voice in so many different ways now. So I am eternally grateful for that soul contract at the same time. And throughout all of this, getting back to the chapter in the book that I wrote, the chapter was called Forgiveness. And so throughout all of this, I had to forgive myself, which I didn't even realize was at the core of everything shifting. While I was with my last partner, a beautiful friend, Jules, ended up introducing me to women's circles because since Beck died, I'd pretty much shut myself off from any kind of female friendship at all. Like no one could ever take her place and I was never going to let that happen. But she introduced me to women's circles close to 25 years after her death and it changed my life again. It was another massive turning point for me. And I found connection with women that weren't bitchy that were so loving and supportive and heart-centered and spiritually inclined and loved personal development, all the things that I was craving so much, just that feminine connection. 
even to myself, to my own divine feminine. And one of the other big moments of being in one of those calls is we had to come with a poem or a song or something that had truly touched our souls. And I remember watching one of the women read out a poem and she had tears streaming down her face and I could see the other women being so touched by the words. And then I started crying because I realized those words she was reading out were mine. Because since joining these women's circles, the the style of poetry I wrote shifted completely to a whole different level I used to write country songs and things like that. And these were just more about empowerment and divine flow and totally different style. And so through one of those calls, I was sitting there with some women and I managed to forgive myself 28 years worth of pain and shame and self-loathing were released. And I cried the entire call uncontrollably and it was fucking magical. So I realized how powerful forgiveness actually was, but I still hadn't forgiven my ex-husband or the other woman. And my soul led the way. I'd found this beautiful connection with my soul and she led the way, showing me that their actions stemmed from their own insecurities and their own traumas, not from their desire to actually hurt me. And that was a massive shift. And I could understand that. It wasn't about me at all. And that I could relate to. I I found space in my heart to forgive their humanness like I'd forgiven mine. And it finally hit me that time doesn't heal all wounds, but consciousness and self-awareness does. So shifting the light like on our wounds and our pains and looking deeper into those words that we unconsciously tell ourselves on a daily basis in every freaking moment, that's where real transformation occurs. And I really still had no idea how powerful forgiveness really was. Ideas started flowing and my dreams grew wilder and I finally began to feel worthy enough to manifest them. I started my business, which was merging my obsession with words and storytelling and intuition and universal laws. I combined it all into my writing business and I got to collaborate with other women and help them actually express their unapologetic selves through bios and editing their words and editing their books. It was just incredible and I'm still blessed enough to be able to do that. It was such a beautiful exchange of creativity and connection and I'm constantly in awe that I get to do that on a daily basis. And I remember it was after this, I had this vision of a book featuring some of these incredible women that I'd met. And the book would inspire and empower others through their stories of rising. Uh, It was going to be a chapter with each woman's gifts and beautiful teachings, I suppose. And a month later, I was blown away by the synchronicity, absolutely trembling in my chair as a beautiful sister invited me to be part of a book exactly as I'd imagined, except instead of being the one putting the book together and in, you know, writing about other women, I was one of these women called in for the book, overseen by the beautiful Lynn, who I've had on this podcast before. And she was a stranger at the time who's now become a dear friend and I'm just so blessed for that. But the podcast that I had envisioned during that guided meditation where I get to have incredible conversations with these women and then possibly put those into a book, I created it a few years later. It took me a while to get the fuck out of my own way, 
But I ended up creating the Hot Mess Goddess podcast and now I have the visions of the Hot Mess Goddess books that are going to come out with beautifully inspired stories from these women and their learnings. And I'm so excited about that next chapter of what I'm called to do. And I've recently had my Gene Keys slash human design. I've had a reading from someone else because I tend to dive into all this stuff by myself. And holy fucking shit, what another awakening that has been. It's activated something within me to trust myself again and trust those nudges and not beat myself up for not finishing all these hundreds of courses that I start and never finish because I'm a manifesting generator, but also combined with all the other gene keys and things going on. It is my innate nature to do what lights me up in any given moment. That is my ultimate purpose and just follow the bliss. And it doesn't matter if I don't niche down or stick to this one thing forever, because ultimately I'm not here for that. I'm here to keep doing what lights me up. And so if you feel like you're trapped in any certain way with this stuff, give yourself permission to just follow your bliss because it might be in your nature too. But one thing I'd really learned, I feel like I've been talking for so long and I was almost about to apologize for that. Holy shit. One thing I've really come to know is that diving into the words and the wounds of my own story was incredibly fucking messy, but beautifully messy. And being an editor, when I wrote my story, I wrote it in two days flat. So I had heaps of time to go back and re-edit and re-edit and re-edit. And it's what I love to do anyway. And so each round of that, each round of the tears and the rewrites and releasing layers of guilt and unforgiveness and remnants of the consequences and perceptions of one event that radically changed the course of my life, I had no idea there were so many layers to it. And so each and every one of us has a story, which is a story to be embraced and to be completely transparent with and then be courageous enough to forgive ourselves for. It doesn't matter if that story seems small or seems massive. There were so many things along my path I realized I had to forgive myself for and that unraveling is still continuing. It's not just right, I'm forgiven, I'm done. I'm finding layers and layers still, and I think it's part of what I've come through this life to do. Forgiveness is a massive part of my beingness. So, you know, at some point we all have to forgive ourselves or someone else to set us free. And it's brutal at times. It's not just this loving forgiveness thing. And if we're brave enough to go there, it's incredibly life-changing. And like I mentioned, just when we think we're done, In perfect timing, life will smack us in the face again with another version and another layer and another lesson to work through. But each time we do this, we get to choose if we burn in the depths of resentment, hatred and fear for ourselves or someone else, or whether we forgive and rise up from those ashes. And so I guess to finish this off, I told my coach that I was going to read out one of my poems because I love to write, but speaking it is a whole new thing. And the only time I've ever done that, if you've listened to any of the other previous episodes, I spoke one of my poems in front of Adam Rower, who's an incredible spoken word artist, and I cried the entire way through it. So this will be the second time I've ever spoken one of my poems out loud. And I would like to finish the podcast with this. Woman, rise. The light was there all along. The answers deep within. A place you finally belong, 
here your truth begins. Letting go of common sense and external limitations. Rebelling against influence, smashing false foundations. Inner revolutions rise a stirring in your soul. You can't ignore her hallowed cries. You are divine and whole. Awakening to ancient dreams, reclaiming sacred self. Rapidly downloading streams, expanding inner wealth. Woman, rise, oh behold, honour your birthright. Your story's one that must be told. It's time to spread your light. So I feel very blessed, hand on heart right now, for you allowing me to indulge myself, I guess, and go through another layer of growth by reading that out and by sharing my story. So I'm incredibly grateful if you've made it this far through. And I feel called to mention now, because usually I wind up a podcast with sharing where you can actually find my guest on all the socials. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, do I really want to share about myself? That's a bit uncomfortable again. But fuck it, if I don't do this, then I'm just hiding again and holding myself back. And when I give myself permission, then that gives others permission. So if you feel called to share your story, whether that is through a book that you want to be published, whether it's through sharing your story just to heal through all of those layers like I did, then please reach out because this is where I have been so blessed to help women recently. I love editing books, as you possibly know. But what I've discovered is when someone just writes a book and hands it off to me to edit, it's a hell of a lot different than when I say to them, I'm not looking at it until you've had a break from it and read it again, because there is so much healing in that process of looking at it with a slightly new perception and rewriting the parts that you've healed through and changing some of that victim language because you've grown through that. And that is such a transformational process that I have realized that I help clients with that I didn't even know at the time. So I'm incredibly blessed to now be diving deeper into this with clients rather than just seeing myself as an editor, but to really help with that healing process as well and helping them grow through those layers and writing the best fucking version of their story that they possibly can because they're growing through it as they're writing it. Writing my story was the most healing thing I have ever done in my life. And so I will continue to shout it from the rooftops for anyone else that wants to go through that. And if you want someone by your side that gets it, then reach out. If you just want someone to look over your words, reach out. It's what I fucking love to do. Mostly I'm on Facebook. Just drop into my messenger. I'm pretty much always looking at that. Instagram, I am not on quite so much, but I'd like to explore that a little bit more, but I certainly see messages that come through. So Sally Jane Friday on either of those is perfect. And the website and everything else is all being rebranded. Massive shakeup with my gene keys and human design and really giving myself permission to stop hiding behind all those different names and truly step into who the fuck I am and who I came here to be expressed. So... Thank you so much. I have actually enjoyed this conversation with myself, but with you way more than I imagined that I would. And I just feel so honored to have been able to share my story with you. Episodes will now be coming out fortnightly because my ex was my editor and there were complications in that. So when we were having issues, the episodes weren't being edited. 
So I've learned in this break to edit my own and for consistency and also to give myself the space required to do all the other things that I love to do, which involves all of my stuff with my writing business, the poetry, cacao ceremonies and all the things I love to do, along with diving into personal development with some incredible mentors. I'm giving myself the space to be bringing out episodes on a fortnightly basis now. And in the alternate week, I'll be blogging about either those episodes or just whatever the fuck is going on in my life. I really have no idea. If I plan stuff, it just doesn't work. So it's a mystery box of whatever happens, happens. And that's the way I like to roll. But I also like a bit of consistency, which has come from my radio days and a little bit of structure. So fortnightly podcasts, fortnightly musings, I guess I'll call them. And the rest is up to the cosmos. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd be ever so grateful and it would really help a girl out if you'd share the love. Subscribe, rate and review so others can find us too. Much love.